Hello, I'm Dr. Tracy Hogan. How does this podcast shine new light on your most persistent problem? Well, I'll help you get to that sweet spot between the best psychology has to offer and the best spirituality has to offer. Are you ready? Let's climb this happiness ladder. What makes a good parent? Are there better parents? What does it take to be the best parent you can be? The answer to these questions lies in the six strengths of happy people. But when I talk about parenting, I want you to think of the six strengths not as a happiness ladder, but more like a big set of cement stairs. So this is part one or the foundation, the bottom step of these stairs. And the foundation to parenting is charity or service to our children. As I'm recording this podcast, Father's Day is just a few days away. And the purpose of this podcast is to help you think about the many, many good things that you do to parent your children, to celebrate the gazillion things you do to give your kids appropriate attention, and maybe inspire you to be better and do things a little bit differently. My husband and I build a house on several acres of flat farmland with not a single tree. So last summer we got our grass in and now we're finally ready to go to a tree farm and our budget this year is for two trees. We are walking through the acres of trees and I just go crazy. Each tree is whispering to me, pulling me towards it. Each feels like the soul of a friend. I can visualize the potential of these trees. There are so many varieties. They're so beautiful. I can't choose. I want to plant all of them. What is it about trees? Then I realized, oh, it's because of my dad. When I was 14, my father built a house on flat farmland. And whenever he'd bring home a tree, as the oldest of five children, he'd invite me just me, to help him dig up the hard clay and make a hole big enough for the root ball. My dad was so fun to talk to because he was always reading, and I loved that he'd discuss the ideas he read while we made that hole in the ground. Because he talked about what was in his heart, I felt brave enough to tell him what was on my mind. So we talked about my ideas and my problems. I thought I was doing a big service for him planting those trees but he was actually serving me. It was a magical time. When I was 15, he brought home a six-foot scotch pine. I had tried out for high school cheer squad. I was good at the gymnastics part, but so shy and completely clueless at the social intricacies of getting voted in as a cheerleader, and I may have scored one vote. I felt utterly rejected and embarrassed and so discouraged. I think I started sniffling and watering the tree while we were digging the hole. It felt like a safe place to dump all my pent-up frustration. It was so nice that he didn't say, Well, you just need to be more outgoing. You've got to talk to more people. He didn't try and fix me. He said he didn't know how to tell me to win at the popularity game because he had been painfully shy. He stopped and put a shovel in the dirt and said, Oh, Tracy... I'm so sorry. Then I dropped my shovel and ran off to have a good cry on my own. 
The next day, my dad came home from work and handed me this black electrical box and said, this is to cheer you up. I looked at his gift. I was so surprised. This was in about 1973, and it was the first portable stereo I'd ever seen. Money in our family was so tight with five children and one income. All we ever did was eat tuna casserole. I never had a piece of meat for dinner that wasn't cut into tiny pieces to make it stretch until I went to the restaurant before the junior prom and my date paid for a prime rib dinner. I had no idea what prime rib was when I ordered it or how to cut it when it came. I was overwhelmed by the extravagance of this little boom box my dad bought me. Then I realized, well, my dad was too shy to know what to say, and he was too shy to give me a hug. Then I cried for a different reason. I knew my dad understood how bad I felt, and he was trying to comfort me, and it was so kind. That scotch pine grew about 25 feet, and I grew up knowing that my dad was one of my best friends because we spent time alone planting all those trees. Dallin H. Oaks explained why some time we spend with our kids is good, but when we spend time alone with our children, it's so much better. It's easy to focus on group activities with our children. We go watch their soccer, their baseball, their dance, their football, and take them camping. But simple one-on-one time is better. Quote, a friend took his young family on a series of summer vacation trips, including visits to memorable historic sites. At the end of the summer, he asked his teenage son which of those summer activities he enjoyed most. The thing I liked best this summer, the boy replied, was the night you and I laid on the lawn and looked at the stars and talked. Super family activities may be good for children, but they are not always better than one-on-one time with a loving parent, end quote. The most important of the Lord's work that you will ever do will be the work you do within the walls of your own home, said Harold B. Lee. But I would like to change that to the most important service you will ever do is the one you do on walks, talks, reading children's stories, planting trees. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. In psychology, the way we spell love is A-P-P-R-O-P-R-I-A-T-E-A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N. The epitome of appropriate attention is one-on-one time. Psychology calls it quality time, time alone, connection time. So why serve your child by spending time alone with them? In a study by Jones, they found that children are less likely to have behavioral issues at home or at school. Children who are spending more quality time with families are less likely to participate in risky behaviors such as drug and alcohol use. But a study of 2,000 families showed that with jam-packed schedules for American families, the parents are only spending 37 minutes on weekdays with their children. A study by the Common Sense Media found that in 2021, average daily entertainment screen use was up to 8 hours and 39 minutes per day for teens and 5 hours and 33 minutes for tweens. One 2020 study published in the Journal of Happiness Studies shows that your kids turn to social media when they are lonely, but engaging in social media makes them feel worse. 
they feel more isolated and more lonely. We're all prone to comparing ourselves to others, but social media can heighten this tendency, says Michael Torres, a clinical psychologist. For example, you look at other people's posts and think, I should be doing that. I should be living that life. I should be that happy. I should have that body. I should have that kind of family. I should have that many friends. Nothing is better than actual in-person engagement with a friend, he explains. When you're face-to-face, you can read body language, emotions, and energy better, which means more empathy and less comparison, says Dr. Torres. I've done over 25 years of counseling with adults. In the first few moments when I'm with a new client, there's a question I always ask to ascertain the secrets of their soul. This question reveals the person's ability to attach, their ability to love and be loved. The question is, if you fell deeply in love with someone in high school and he or she chose someone else and broke your heart, who could you tell? Would it be your mom or your dad? What do you think my clients say? Some say, well, I couldn't talk to my dad. And sadly, some say, well, I couldn't talk to my mom or my dad. I had to talk to my sister or my friends. That is a pretty sad but accurate assessment of a poor parental relationship. Sometimes my clients will say something even more chilling. I had no one to tell. I grew up with no one I could talk to. The problem with the inability to talk to a parent is the inability to bond to that parent. I'm an attachment therapist, which means I believe that humans must attach to our mothers by age one and to our fathers by about age 18 months. God engineered us to bond. If our moms and our dads give us appropriate attention, we become securely attached. Then we carry that secure attachment style into our marriages. In other words, we bond to our spouse in the same way we learn to bond to our parents. But with the sexual chemicals in marriage, it could possibly be five to ten times stronger of an attachment bond. But roughly 40% of all people don't get enough appropriate attention, and they become avoidantly or anxiously attached. And worst of all, abused children develop disorganized attachment. Picture a quadrant in your mind. In the upper left-hand corner is secure attachment. And in the upper right-hand corner is avoidant attachment. Avoidant attachment in adults is a dismissive and surface style of relationship. Picture someone who thinks they're better than everybody else. Avoidant individuals don't rely on others for emotional support or closeness. Avoidantly attached people don't indulge in emotions and can appear cold and heartless. They can be workaholics and avoid intimacy. They are uncomfortable opening up to others because they can't trust. They can involve themselves in shallow relationships, sometimes shallow sexual relationships, in order to avoid bonding with other human beings. And I always asked my psychology students, do you know anybody who's avoidantly attached? And sadly, many of them would say, yeah, my dad. Anxious attachment, if you picture the lower left side, it's manifest by thinking highly, sometimes even idealizing others, but thinking poorly of themselves. You know, who do you know that's anxiously attached? They often have low self-esteem and need constant reassurance that they are loved or good enough. 
anxiously attached people might feel flooded, overwhelmed, and debilitated by their emotions and act clingy and dependent on others. Anxiously attached people can feel afraid of criticism or rejection. One client I had was so desperate for attention and connection that she texted her husband, who worked construction and couldn't answer her text, 297 times in one day. If he couldn't respond, she would start calling him. Disorganized attachment frequently develops if a child suffers abuse. Adults with disorganized attachment are afraid to let anyone get close. They worry that they will be hurt again. Both disorganized and avoidant individuals fear intimacy, but in disorganized attachment, individuals crave closeness and love. You might wonder how many people are in which category. And luckily, the people who are securely attached is about 60%. So that means two-thirds of parents are doing an adequate job giving appropriate attention to their children. Avoidant attachment, 10%. Anxious attachment, 15%, and disorganized attachment, 15%. So how does this play out in our everyday lives? Well, one day, after a harrowing and emotional day of counseling, I realized I had just worked the entire week with clients who, when distressed, could not express negative emotions. As they grew up, they could not seek proximity to their parental units and expect to feel better. In other words, their parents were extremely broken or selfish or both. As I looked over my caseload, I was astonished to discover the extent of the injury and impairment. I decided that I would call my caseload at that time, just in my head, not to anybody else, the Bad Dads Club. What makes a bad dad in my book? Simple dads and moms who don't serve their children. They don't have charity. They don't give their children enough appropriate attention. Attention is not a do or don't black or white deal. It's probably on a continuum. There's probably an attention continuum of on the far left, bad, and then a little farther up, not so bad, neutral, then a little farther up, good, then better, then best. So you may be asking yourself, am I in the bad dad's club? Where am I on the continuum? Thankfully, most of us have the humility to ask, Lord, is it I? But let me reassure you, your efforts to bond with your child and be a better parent are effective. When there is enough appropriate attention, and this happens about 60% of the time, a person can bond and securely attach. If you care enough about your relationships to listen to this podcast, you probably care enough to move yourself up a few notches to the right of the continuum and from wherever you are towards the best. So you might wonder, why don't people give enough appropriate attention to their kids? It sounds simple, right? If there's appropriate attention, lots of good conversation, lots of emotional support and spending quality time, if that fosters secure attachment, then what comprises less effective and even inappropriate attention? What's on that negative side? What is the bad dad's club? In counseling, when I asked my question, if you really adored someone in high school and that person broke your heart, who could you go to? My 16-year-old client reported that she went to her father. She told him how she had secretly and desperately loved a boy at school for two long years and how they hung out in the same friend group and how she tried to hold his hand and he pulled away and said, 
Let's just keep it at friends. Crushed, she came home crying and sought solace from her father. She reported, My dad's eyes were on his phone the whole time I was talking to him. When he finally looked up and saw I was crying, he said, Go talk to your mom. I'm not good at this. She said, I can never go to him with my feelings. His eyes are always glued to his cell. He's too busy with work for me. I call this disease cellutosis. This is a problem whereby otherwise smart people put their smartphone ahead of their family, thereby become really dumb. My client described how her dad was a workaholic. She described how he seemed to avoid family communication, even on vacation, by focusing on his cell. Her dad sounded avoidantly attached to me. Here's some examples of good dad connection time. This one's from my husband. My dad became active in the church later in life. He wasn't much of a scriptorian. He wasn't much of a talker. But he taught the four of us kids how to work outside and operate machines. He took us camping. He was our scout leader. He bought us a boat, and we water skied and fished. My dad loved to joke around and laugh. These were all good things. Then one time, something a little better happened. My dad invited me to help him set up a display at a scoutmaster training camp. We took our truck and camper up to the campground and spent the whole day working together. When the training was completed, we went to the camper to make some dinner. We were in for a bit of a surprise. It was fall, and my mother had already cleaned out the cupboards. It was a frosty night, and we were famished. We searched and searched, and all we could find was a package of Lipton French onion soup and stale saltine crackers. Now, I was not fond of French onion soup, but that's all we had, so we boiled it up. That was the best tasting soup ever. It was so great that we had this time alone instead of with all my siblings. I knew he loved me because he spent time with me. So why make a concerted effort to spend time alone and give appropriate attention? One, so your child can bond to you with secure attachment. Two, if they can learn to love you, they can learn to love themselves. Three, if they can learn to love themselves, they can learn to love a spouse. We carry the same attachment style into marriage that we get from our home of origin. After I had earned my master's degree in counseling, I dearly wanted to do something to prioritize giving appropriate attention and assure my kids would feel securely attached. But we were so busy. I was really at a loss for how to do that. A few months later, on Christmas Eve, my husband and I were wrapping a mountain of gifts for our kids. It was until the wee hours of the morning. We felt sick. We were turning our kids into little consumers. The whole holiday was focused on presents instead of the Savior, all the food, the relatives, and we did everything except spend time with our children. That Christmas, we determined to give our kids the gift of time. We announced that Christmas Day and every Sunday afterwards would be a legit family day, a time to have a date with each of our children to play with their gifts or to go on a walk or pick something they wanted to do. The rule was no interruptions, so we left our cell phones home. My husband took the three girls one at a time, I took the three boys one at a time, and the next week we switched and I took the girls. So fast forward two years. 
My daughter had received her first real mountain bike for Christmas. I asked her what she wanted to do for her time alone with me, hoping it would be something in the warm house because it was Colorado. But oh no, she wanted a genuine bike ride. My heart sank. Thankfully, there was very little snow. She headed for a steep hill and whooshed up like a gazelle, leaving her frozen, huffing mother behind to negotiate occasional ice patches. After an hour and a half climb, we reached the top. Laughing and exhilarated, we watched the sunset paint pink streaks from the snow-capped mountains. How different from that tired, let-down feeling I often had when all the presents were opened on Christmas afternoon. Suddenly, I realized that our time together was my real gift to her that day. The parent-child bond being strengthened during that time together could never have been purchased in a store. We did Time Alone faithfully for 14 years. Every time I get a card from my daughter, she thanks me for doing Time Alone. I believe it has made all the difference. In the best of psychology, I've found numerous studies from my doctoral dissertation that show altruism or acts of service actually makes people happier. Yes, I can validate those studies with my own experience. Every Sunday when I spent time alone with my kids, it just felt good inside. It was happiness from knowing I was fostering secure attachment. In the best of spirituality, the ultimate purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just to do charitable acts like serving our children. It is to make us like Christ. The scriptures talk about how charity or service to our families is the pure love of Christ, and that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Perhaps that's why it feels so good to spend time with our children. We are becoming like Christ. Hey, back to your parenting. I know you would only listen to this if you were doing many, many good things to give your children appropriate attention. So let's take a moment and celebrate the gazillion things you do. I want you to think of all the times you read a bedtime story to your kid. That was appropriate one-on-one attention. Remember all the times you spent playing Lego or cards or basketball or scrapbooking, especially if it was just you and your child alone. Remember all the times you took off work early to drive your teenager to their dance or art or tennis lessons and talked on the ride. That was appropriate attention. So to all y'all, I say, happy Father's Day. Thank you, dads. Thank you, moms. I think we should say, Happy appropriate attention to make secure attachment day. Do you think it'll catch on? Has kind of a ring to it, right? Happy appropriate attention to make secure attachment day. Happy appropriate attention to make secure attachment day. If you say it fast, it's better. If you know someone who might benefit from hearing these ideas on spending time alone with your children, please share this podcast. Until next time, Live like his son, help others on their way.